Thanks, Rachel. <clears throat> hey, everyone, and welcome to church. My name is Ming, and I'm just one of the ministry apprentices here at UniChurch. <clears throat> I consider it a great privilege, and I'm very excited to be able to go through this passage with you all, this, this love story. <clears throat> As you heard Rachel uh, read it out to us a little earlier just then, uh, I asked her to read only halfway. We're actually going to go through the whole chapter, just so we can preserve some of the narrative momentum, because we'll be going through it in quite some detail uh, across this message. Um, hopefully, some of you might be wondering, uh, how does this, what does this have to do with any of us? This random love story between Isaac and Rebecca, um, this doesn't seem relevant at all. Um, but before we get into that, uh, let me pray, asking God uh, that he may show us what, this has to say, what does this have to say about him and his son Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of all creation, Lord of this world, Lord of this word that we are engaging with, we pray that you open our ears, our hearts and minds so that we might be captivated by what you have to say to us. May this passage lead us to a greater understanding of who you are and who your son Jesus Christ is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen. In our lives... We all rightly desire good things. We try to work out what is God's will. What does he want us to do? Where should we go next? And so we pray for God to bless things, bring us success, for his kindness to be poured out on small and big decisions in life that we make. You know, we pray during the small times, like before each meal, uh, or something even bigger, uh, like thinking about whether or not to have a child or where to send the kids to school or what should I be studying at university or where should I work. We want to seek God's guidance because we want God to bless and bring success to the decisions that we are making. We don't want to make a mistake. And in this story, we get to see what is probably the second biggest decision anyone can make in their lifetime. We see the marriage of a couple. Now, this story isn't some tacked-on part of the Bible. It's actually the longest chapter in Genesis. It's like the one-hour special in a television series. It gets the most airtime because God really wants to show us that he demonstrates his loving kindness through the fulfillment of his promises. But even more than that, God wants us to see that he invites us into these promises through his son, Jesus. And so... With any good episode, we're going to start with a previously on Genesis. A quick recap on Abraham's life. So up until this point, we've seen God work through and make promises to this man, Abraham. We started with three, three key promises. Land, offspring, and blessing. And not just, not just blessing for Abraham himself, but blessing to the whole world through Abraham and his offspring. These promises are key because they're what caused Abraham to go on this grand old adventure that we've been following along with. We get to see some doubt creeping, so he sleeps with one of his maidservants because his wife can't seem to have children, no offspring. Then we saw Abraham call his wife his sister. She gets taken from him, then he gets her back. Then they have a child named Isaac in their old age. And after all that drama, Abraham nearly sacrifices his only son, the only offspring he has, but then he stops and sacrifices a ram instead. We heard that last week. And now, and now, we're, uh, now Abraham's wife, which is where we're at right now, 
Abraham's wife Sarah has just passed away. And Abraham buries her in the land of Canaan, this land that God has promised him and his family. And this is where our story begins, the quest. Abraham is now facing the reality of his death, his own death. His wife is gone, and in verse 1, Abraham was now old, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham thinks to himself, all right, my wife's gone, there's definitely no more children on the way, and we still don't have this promised land or many offspring. And he reflects back on these words from God himself in Genesis 22, verse 17. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars on the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. What do I do, Abraham asks. What happens next? This is a question we often ask ourselves throughout our own lives. God doesn't give us the blueprints on how to live our lives, even though that would be very helpful. And similarly here, God doesn't tell Abraham exactly what to do each step of the way. But in this scene, we see Abraham with confidence and conviction commissioning his servant to do a few things. Let's have a look at them in verse 2. Abraham said to a servant, The elder of his household, who managed all he owned, place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you have, make you, I'll have you swear by the Lord God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. So as you see that, there's a few things that we need to highlight here. Firstly, Abraham asks this unnamed servant, the one who manages all of Abraham's estate, to place his hand under Abraham's thigh. Now this might like, seem like a pretty small, more, small point, but I bring this up because it's mentioned again in verse 9, and we will actually see it again later in chapter 47 in our series in Genesis. So I want to get this out of the way. This hand under the thigh reference is Abraham formalizing this oath. It's almost like a pinky promise in an incredibly personal way. People suggest different things as to what this meant, but this word thigh, it actually means groin or loins in Hebrew. Now, I don't know about you, but I can speak on behalf of the men that we generally don't let people touch that area. <laughs> it's a bit close to body parts we're incredibly protective and sensitive about. And I can imagine for Abraham, this command he's given his servant is one of huge importance, one he is protective and sensitive about. You can almost think of this as being parallel to God's oath to Abraham through circumcision. This is a command of huge weight, huge. And so, there's two specific commands Abraham asks for. Number one, do not let Isaac marry a Canaanite woman. And number two, do not let Isaac leave the land of Canaan. And here we see the problem that needs to be resolved in our story. If I was a servant, I know I'd be thinking, are you serious? This request couldn't get any harder. And this is exactly what was on the servant's mind in verse 5, the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? It's pretty reasonable for a woman to want to meet their man before marrying them. But Abraham says no. And in verse 7, he says, 
the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you, and you can take a wife for my son from there. And it is here we see with certainty that despite Abraham's ups and downs in life, times where he's failed to trust in God, he's now a changed man. In his old age, as he reflects back on his life and confidently discerns what to do next, Abraham now says with clear conviction, this is what's happening. But how did he exactly land on this decision? Abraham, well, what he does is Abraham traces the trajectories of God's will and desire through what he has promised. God never told Abraham that he needed to make these decisions, decisions that make things so hard to find a wife for Isaac. But Abraham does reflect and knows of the promises God made to him. Promises that say, this land will belong to your offspring. This land of your enemies, all of it will belong to your offspring. And he rightly, Abraham rightly discerns, if Isaac marries one of the enemy, marries the very enemy that currently owns this land, then it just doesn't work. The land would still essentially belong to the Canaanites. If Isaac intermarries with the enemy, then the land would never fully belong to Abraham's line. And secondly, he says Isaac must stay in this land because Abraham's only offspring, Isaac, is the embodiment of God's very promise to Abraham. God says, to your offspring, I'll give this land. Isaac's very presence in the land represents a living declaration that this land will belong to Abraham's descendants. Abraham is tracing the trajectory of God's will through the promises that he knows. And more than that, God has the confidence because he knows that this is the God who goes before us before we even know what to do next to prepare and make our paths straight. Abraham tells his servant, he will send his angel before you. In Abraham's old age, wise, experienced, he's seen many things. He says with confidence, God goes before us. This really reminds me that there are people in and around our church family that do have a lot of wisdom. Through those tough decisions in your life, Get wisdom from those who have gone before us. People who have run this race as Christians longer than we have. They have seen God work and they have seen God's fingerprints throughout their lives. Or perhaps you are someone that is older and has some wisdom. Ask yourself, are you inviting younger people into your lives and giving them wisdom? When you are wondering, should I study? Should I work? Should I have a baby? Should I buy a house? Should I do this? Should I do that? Look at God's word to see his promises to us clearly. Just a few weeks ago, Lachlan did a sermon that demonstrates some of God's promises to us now. It's on the screen again now. Meditate on these promises God has made to us and see if your decisions are in line and making sense in light of these promises. And don't be shy to seek wisdom of those who have run this race as Christians longer than we have. Next part of our story. It's the next point in your outlines. Now, as our story progresses, the unnamed servant goes on the quest to find Isaac a wife. 
He takes a bunch of goods and camels, and he goes on a journey that encompasses thousands of miles in several months. From Canaan all the way to verse 10, Nahor's town, Aram Naharaim, Mesopotamia. Here he settles near a well, probably a little bit thirsty, but also this happens to be the time where the woman went out to draw water. Perfect. Here we see servant playing wingman to a rich, eligible bachelor, and he's in the ideal place to meet woman. This is the moment. There's no easy way out of this. There aren't any pubs back then, no dating apps, no websites, no Facebook. This is what the servant had to work with. Face-to-face contact. (laughs) This here is a moment of tension. What is the servant going to do? Now, I'm an extrovert, and I don't mind talking to strangers. uh, But there are times where I do get a bit shy and a bit afraid to do something so forward. In fact, I can look back to the time when I first asked my girlfriend on a date. I stuttered, I stumbled, I bumbled along. Things did not go according to how I planned in my head. I can only imagine what the servant is feeling. And whatever the servant is feeling, he does what we all should do when we feel unequipped, when we don't know what to say, when we're worried about rejection. The servant prays. And this prayer isn't some desperation prayer like when we're freaking out before an exam. This is a prayer of submitting himself and his actions before God. Let's have a look at it, verse 12. Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I'm standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, Please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink. I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now when I first read this prayer, I thought to myself, this, this doesn't seem like a very good prayer. I'm worried about highlighting this prayer just in case people started to applying it to themselves directly, asking God for signs in their lives. But after looking at it a little more carefully, I realized that there are actually some great things about this little prayer. The servant is specific in who he's praying to. God of Abraham, our God. He's broad in what he's after. He wants success. Success for the sake of his master, Abraham. And he talks to God, talking to God about the situation, involving God in what's happening. So God, I'm I'm at this well now. He tells God, and he uses this language, let the girl, let her be the one. Very similar to saying, may this be the case. The servant isn't demanding anything. He's willing to submit his request to God and let God shape and mold his request. And how can we be so sure that the servant wasn't testing God with a sign? It's because the request was a test of Rebecca's character not from a sign from God. Let's read ahead to see that. Verse 15. Before, before he had finished speaking, there was Rebecca. There's that before language again. God goes before the servant. Before he's even finished praying, God is already in action. The daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, coming with a jug on her shoulder. Now the girl was very beautiful, a young woman who had not known a man intimately. 
She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up. Young, beautiful, single. I know I'd be running to meet this girl. And so did the servant. Verse 17. Then the servant ran. He ran to meet her and said, Please let me have a little water from your jug. This is the moment. What is she going to say? Verse 18. She replied, Drink, my lord. She quickly lowered her jug to her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also draw water for your camels until they have had enough to drink. She quickly emptied her jug into the trough and hurried to the well again to draw water. She drew water for all his camels, while the man silently watched her to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey a success. When we look back to the servant's prayer, he only asked that she respond with, I'll water your camels also. And when Rebecca did say this, he doesn't burst into giddy excitement that she's the one, this is the sign, done deal. Instead, the servant waits. He waits silently, patiently for her to actually water all the camels. And it was from this scene that I knew that the servant wasn't just asking for some sign, but that success to him was finding someone of good character for his master, Abraham, Isaac, hospitable. How else was he going to filter her from the many other women that might come by? By her character. And when I say hospitable, this is beyond anything we'd expect. The servant, the servant had 10 camels, right? So I did some Googling for us. One camel, one of the 10, drinks 25 cal- gallons of water. So 25 gallons is 31 bottles of 3-liter juice per camel. It's 31 bottles. And an ancient water jar typically held 3 gallons of water. So I did the math for us. Rebecca carried back and forth 310 bottles of 3-liter juice for all the camels. Rebecca is incredibly hospitable and obviously very fit. (laughs) But if things weren't looking good enough, God just keeps answering with a yes. Verse 22. After the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and for her wrists two bracelets weighing ten shekels of gold. Whose daughter are you? He asked. Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Things just keep getting better. Because above all else, Rebekah is from Abraham's own family, a descendant of his brother. And, well, okay, for us, that might not seem so positive. But do remember the oath we read at the start. Go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. Family. Rebecca ticks all the boxes. She's perfect. Young, beautiful, single, hospitable, and she's family. Now, I just want to take a moment to say here, this is sadly not a model for how to find a wife. I'm sure there's some people here who might be thinking, sweet, I know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go home tonight and pray. Then the first girl that walks up to me, she's the one. This, this is, she's the one. Please don't. Now, I know, I know that they have, we have some great women here at church, but church is not some watering well. Church is not the place 
to come just to look for a spouse. It's definitely a great place to find a spouse, but it's not the reason you come. Make sure your conversations with people of the opposite gender are not you just trying to flirt with them. It is actually good, right, and appropriate to have friends and to get wisdom from people of the opposite gender. It's good. But you're always safer, always safer, to assume that a conversation with the opposite gender is not a show of interest. And if it is, wait, wait for them to say it. Don't let your head run away with it, even if they giggle or look your way or play with their hair or whatever. <laughs> and and for, for those of you who are not perhaps looking for a spouse, perhaps you're already married, have confidence that your spouse is the one. It is a covenant before God. And do remember, singleness isn't necessarily the worst thing. It is a gift. Next part of the story, next point in your outlines. In our next part of the story, we really get to appreciate how easy Isaac got it. It was a servant who had to meet the parents, not him. This servant truly is the ultimate wingman. Let's have a look at it. Verse 28. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and Laban ran out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he had heard his sister Rebecca's words, the man said this to me. He went to the man. He was standing there by the camels at the spring. Rebecca runs and tells her whole household what happened. And we get this little interjection. This new character comes onto the scene. Laban, he comes up. Rebecca's brother. Now, we don't really get to know too much about this Laban fellow in our love story, but we do know he's a pretty curious guy when he sees the gold ring and the bracelets. And so he is a little interested in, he perhaps is a little interested in wealth and material gain, wanting to get a little extra something on the side. And this is helpful to keep in the back of your minds as we encounter Laban a little later in the series, but not this episode. So in this next this next chunk of the story is essentially what makes this chapter really, really long. Across verses 34 all the way to 48, the servant appeals to the parents by telling them of how Isaac is a rich, eligible bachelor. And then the servant retells, he retells all the events right from when Abraham gave him the commands, the oath, the prayer, the events happening with Rebekah, how these events all lined up with his prayer, how the Lord answered the prayer, all of that stuff all of it in specific detail. It's almost word for word. He didn't mention the thigh bit, though. (laughs) And the servant finishes his speech by reminding them of the family connection that exists, ending with a final appeal in verse 49. Now, if you are going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me and I'll go elsewhere. This is another moment of tension. We found the girl, but what's going to happen next? Normally, a television show would end here with a to-be-continued. But this is our one-hour special. I want to point out two things that we can really learn from the servant here. Firstly, while the servant has truly been the ultimate wingman throughout the story, a wise man once told me, if I ever wanted to ask the parents for a girl's hand in marriage... Always ask for blessing, not for permission. The servant mistakenly asked for permission. What would happen if they said no? 
This is potentially a grave mistake. <laughs> yes, that was. A, I'm actually not too sure about that one. That might be a joke or not. But on a more serious note, the servant, he says it as it is. How often do we want to butter up stories because we think that's what people want to hear? This part of the story is an incredibly accurate retelling of the events. Not only does this testify to the accuracy of passing on information orally back then, but also seeing how faithful the servant is to the story really challenges us to think through how faithful we are when we talk about God and how God has worked in our lives. I know I fall into this temptation often. Part of why I get nervous preaching is because I feel like I need to elevate God's word more. I believe in this lie that people might think God's word is boring if I leave it as it is or whatever. Or perhaps even when I'm sharing the gospel. I may feel like I want to blunt or remove some aspects of it because of how offensive it can be. Don't fall into this trap. Don't fluff up, fluff up stories, making them more fancy or flashy. Just be faithful. The servant doesn't try to bolster his chances of success by making things up. He just says it as it is. And so it is a failure to trust in God that leads us to change our stories and be dishonest. It is a failure to trust in God to bolster our CVs and cover letters to make us sound better than we really are. Do not embellish stories just to get people to laugh at your jokes Go to your restaurant suggestion, come to your parents' business or whatever, or even your political view, anything like that. Just be faithful and have integrity. So in our next point, as we hold our breath to see the reaction of the parents, we read in verse 15, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebecca is here in front of you. Take her and go and let her be a wife for your master's son, just as the Lord has spoken. After hearing the testimony of the servant and how God has worked through this process, Rebecca is given over to the servant to be married to Isaac. All is well. God just keeps saying yes. And it seems like the problem we ran into at the start is starting to be resolved. But as you can expect with any good story, there's a plot twist. After the servant gives over some monetary gifts, gold, silver, garments to Rebecca and her family, they celebrate. Verse 55. But, and there's always a but, her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us for about 10 days. Then she can go. An ambiguous 10 days. In this moment of trying to delay the servant and Rebecca from returning to the promised land, we run into another moment of tension. Verse 56. But he responded to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has made my journey a success. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, Let's call the girl and ask her opinion. They called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? Will you go? They asked Rebecca. It was this moment that Rebecca had an opportunity to second-guess the decision. She didn't really have much of a say before. It seemed like the dad was calling the shots all along. But now, as God works throughout the story, the ball has now been placed in Rebecca's court. 
will you go? Verse 58. She replied, I will go. Despite the plot twist, the good outcomes just keep on coming. And so with, that, with so many yeses from the Lord, this is truly from God himself. And I really want to highlight here Rebecca's willingness to go. She truly is a woman of faith. To hear what has happened and to be willing to be a part of God's plans. I will go. Back at the well, we were all impressed by her beauty, her generosity, her hospitality, her fitness. But here, here her character really shines through the most. She is willing to leave her homeland, her family, and into the land God shows her. And doesn't God reward Rebecca's great faith? She becomes a part of God's great plan to bless the nations. She becomes a part of God's promise to bless the world through a child, through the offspring of David. Rebecca truly is a woman of great faith. And so as Rebecca packs to leave up, her family blesses her with a blessing. In verse 60, they blessed Rebecca saying to her, Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Echoes of the promise God made to Abraham back in Genesis 22. God has gone before Rebekah, before she, even, she or her family even knew it. This truly is a woman who has been invited into God's blessed promises through her response of great faith. Now, as you start to see the happy ending coming, there's one last hurdle. Will the couple like each other? Remember, this is pretty much an arranged marriage. And we're all pretty fond of Rebecca by now. And so we wonder, what is she going to think of Isaac? Verse 63. In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field. And looking up, he saw camels coming. Rebecca looked up. And when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel. He looks up. She looks up. You can imagine what a captivating scene this is. I was thinking to myself, why hasn't there been a movie for this part of the Bible already? (laughs) If this were in a movie, I'm pretty sure it'd be a scene that looks much like this. (laughs) Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Isn't God such a maestro of romance? Hollywood, I'm sure, is getting some inspiration from this stuff. Verse 67. Isaac brought her into the tent of his Martha Sarah, took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. Happily ever after. Now, throughout this episode, we see elements of a really great story. Romance, hope, courage, hospitality, faith, this story really does celebrate romance as well. And, in, and those in the ancient Middle East, they would have retold this story and felt the feel-good encouragement from it. God just keeps answering with a yes. But before the romance, before any of the other great things, this story celebrates good gifts of God. Relationships, marriage, love, family, things to be received as good gifts of God. And we see God demonstrate his blessing, his loving kindness 
to the fulfillment of his promises. To Abraham, when even in his old age, he was rewarded through his response in faith and discernment to God's promises. To the servant who depended on God through prayer and his mission, he was rewarded with success. To Rebecca, whose willingness to leave her homeland and family, and as she trusts in God's call, she was rewarded with being included into God's great plans, God's promises for the whole world. These characters, they are models of trust and faith that puts God at the center, where the details of their lives revolve around God and his plans for the world. This love story, however, isn't just about Isaac and Rebecca. It's about God himself. He is the central character. He's the one who goes before them. He arranges the details of the story. And he rewards those who walk before him in humble trust, working out his plans and inviting them to be a part of his promises. It'd be just wrong to take the story and think, that's it, all I need to do now is do what the servant did and the same thing will happen to me. There's a way bigger story at work here. A blessing that's even bigger and longer lasting than Isaac and Rebecca's marriage. This story is just a step along the way. It's a part of God's story and his plan to bring, to bring blessing to all nations. So if we fast forward a few thousand years and we get to see another story of a woman at a well in John 4. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus settles at a well, tired from a long journey. He's not looking for a wife. But along comes a Samaritan woman to draw water from this well. Jesus asks the woman for a drink. They begin talking. And over the course of the conversation, Jesus asks about her family. The Samaritan woman rushes home to tell people about Jesus and their conversation. Her people offer hospitality to Jesus, inviting him to stay the night. And the people recognize that this encounter is from the Lord. There are some interesting parallels in this story. But there are also some special differences I want to point out. The Samaritan woman... She isn't the attractive, hospitable, single bachelorette Rebecca, Rebecca was. She's a Samaritan, a non-pure blood Jew. She doesn't have the family ties Rebecca did. She's not even hospitable. She doesn't give Jesus a drink at all. She's, she's definitely not single. She's had five husbands. And the one she currently has isn't even her husband. She's not the ideal candidate like Rebecca. But in this story, we see Jesus. Jesus invites this woman to be a part of God's promise as she is. Broken, imperfect, ashamed of her sexual history. And it is here we see Jesus who seeks to invite us, everyone, into God's promises. Not as the ideal bachelor or bachelorette, but as you are. Selfish, imperfect, prideful, with tainted and scarred histories. Jesus comes to you and invites you to join in God's promises freely. And he rewards your faith richly, not just with gold rings and bracelets weighing 10 shekels, but rewards us with eternal life, blessings in heaven that far surpass anything you could ever imagine. Paul says this to the Gentiles, 
people like us in Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 13. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. We were all once God's enemies, enemies of the promise, not family, not part of the so-called circumcised, but through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are grafted into God's promises, invited into them, the promise of eternal life with God. And we have confidence in this promise that far surpasses any of the confidence Abraham ever had as we can look back in history to the fulfillment of these promises through the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord of Abraham, Lord of Isaac, Lord of us here at Uni Church, please grant us success today, this week, for the rest of our lives, for the sake of your glory. We have just heard your words spoken to us. And so as we go about our lives, may we be a family that lives lives worthy of the death and resurrection of your son Jesus. Lives worthy to be called your children. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.